Yeah, I've been really blessed to be friends with Brother Ken. I I have a easy task this morning just to tell you about my love for the Lord and where He found us and how He found us. <clears throat> I love the Gospel. I notice as I read through the epistles, it's it's almost peculiar to me how much gospel preaching there is to the churches in the epistles. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that, but the gospel is repeated over and over and over again in the gospels that are written to the churches. It's really a marvelous thing. We presume all these people in the churches are born again. We presume that they know the gospel. But it's this, it's this foundational theme that the apostles refer to again and again and again. They just seem to be men in love with the gospel. I think, um, you know, as I as I was asked to share yesterday, and as I've been meditating and praying about how to, what to highlight in our lives and how we changed. In beginning our story, you know, I think it's important to realize the broader reach of the gospel, that it's so much bigger than my life or your life, and I think growing up in 21st century America we have lost some of the far-reaching aspects of the gospel in this. We're not Jews. Not a single one of us had any access by right to the oracles of God. Not a one of us by blood. The Germans, your fathers, your forefathers, were pagan warmongers. The Goths and the Vandals that destroyed Rome came from Germany. My ancestors were pagan idolaters. We have, I mean, I can't help but think of that when I read the story of Cornelius. I had no access. I had no right to know the things that we know. These are treasures. And I think when we grow up in churches, we lose some of that. I grew up in a Protestant church. I grew up in the Baptist church. But I grew up with this premise of Christianity that we were church people and somehow it's easy to lose the fact we have no right to these things these are the these are the most precious jewels that God had and he chose to bring them to us that's important for me to think of when i think of the gospel i'd like to read just in romans chapter 1 quickly if you'd turn there with me Romans chapter 1, the Word of God is a sword, and these chapters, they cut deep, these first few chapters, especially of Romans. In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, 
but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As I was meditating this morning, those scriptures just, they spoke real clear to me. While I, you know, I prefaced all these statements about the far-reaching aspects of the gospel and coming to the Gentiles, we who are Gentiles having an ability to know these things, here in this passage, it, it also tells us that even our ancestors, even men that are born in far reaches of the world, they have no excuse because they have this witness of God before them. And I think in my own life, in my own story, growing up in a Baptist church, a conservative Baptist church, where we were taught the Bible was true, where we were taught the foundational principles of the gospel, and I held all those truths in unrighteousness. And that's common. That's that's very common for people to grow up in settings where they know they have been granted access to truth, whether in the creation, whether in, in, in people being around them, whether growing up in a church setting, they have access to the truth. And this, this ought to convict every person. I mean, all of us, this was the case. God has manifested himself to us at one point in our lives, and we held that truth and unrighteousness. That's why we had to repent. That's why we had to come to the cross of Calvary. So to give you a little details about about our life and our story, I grew up in a good home, uh, upper middle class, Southern California. Um, I, both my parents are together. They loved me. They spanked me. They were good to me, um, maybe too good to me sometimes. But I had a good home. And I was a good child. Uh, my mother will testify to that. Up until a certain point, I was a good child. I I uh I had an interest in in my parents and church and a lot of things. And I grew up I I would say I had probably more of a keen interest in in spiritual matters probably than anybody else among my brothers and sisters even in my youth. What happened was that we moved from Southern California where I had grown up most of my life to Oregon a move that I was very discontented with. And as we changed uh, localities, I went to a new school and found myself a foreigner and kind of an alien in public school. The easiest people to make friends with are the people that you shouldn't make friends with. And I found myself in that place, <clears throat> and I found myself in, in circles that were not good to be in. Uh, I started partying then, probably I'm 15, 16 at this age. Started going to parties and getting in trouble and being out at nights and running to riot and all kinds of mess. But I was, I guess what I would say about that time in my life is that I was a young man who didn't really belong anywhere. I, I, uh, you know, I played sports and so I kind of fit in that crowd and I got pretty good grades so I kind of fit in that crowd and I partied so I kind of fit in that crowd but 
in all these little social environments, I never really found a place where I belonged. I was uh, kind of an outsider everywhere I was, but I could fit anywhere. Until I met a, a girl at a party, a girl like I'd never met before. She was um, a runaway, a 15-year-old runaway. I didn't know how old she was at the time, but we met at a, at a party. She was had her head shaved, almost clean. And uh, I was very curious about this girl more than anything else. And we started spending time together. We started getting involved with each other over the next few months. And before I knew it, I found myself immersed in a culture that I had never even known existed. See, Erica had left home at 15. She'd run away from a, a rough home life and had found her way onto the streets and had been living in Portland, uh, homeless in Portland with another girl and came to Eugene, the town where I lived, and we had some mutual friends. There was a gang in our town, and I, I, it, there's a lot of... It's its own culture. Skinheads are not just one thing or another. There's a lot of different types and shades. And But suffice it to say, the most important thing is that they are very violent. They're drunkards. Uh, they wander the streets aimlessly, drinking and fighting, and that was our life for years. Years. We... Um, they say that the chemicals that God has produced in the human body are stronger than any street drugs. Adrenaline is one of those. And I, I guess I would say that we were addicted to fighting. We were addicted to violence. We drank and we did drugs upon occasion, but those were not really our keen interest. They were not what really motivated us. But we just had a bloodlust about our lives. We were like the men in Proverbs that are not content until they have shed innocent blood. It does something to a man to live that way, to live in that excess. A person that just opens up his heart. I should say, before I got to that place, I I, I just want you to know how deep and depraved our lives were. That never started with a conscious choice. I mean, never one day in my life did I just wake up and say, you know what, I'd like to be a monster to society in the next year's time. I want to make sure that I am the most dangerous creature on the streets. But sin is always a slippery slope. And it starts with one step and a slide and a step and a slide and a step and a slide. And I can even remember times waking up after a party lighting a cigarette, no one awake, hungover, and just thinking, how did I get here? I mean, how did my life become this? There were only brief moments that showed through my conscience like that, but I remember them very clearly. What happened to me? This isn't where I was supposed to end up. How can it be? I mean, I would think through my childhood, I would think through going to church, I would think through learning Bible verses, think about my future, and have to confront the reality around me that my life was going to end. We lived that way for several years, like I said. Partying and fighting, we were very involved with a gang. I think that 
I find myself much more reprehensible in all that than even most of the people that were around us in those days. You see, people, most of the people in our gang were like Erica. They were from very hurting homes. They had been abused. They had been, they had all kinds of wrong things. They were, they belonged there. I mean, if you would look at their lives as children, you would say, I'm not surprised that they ended up there. But I was unique in that I had opportunity. My parents had enough money. They weren't mean to me. I had no reason. You would not have looked at my life and said, that young man is going to end up in this place. And I had to harden my heart. I had to become that. I wasn't trained to be that. I had to, I had to choose, in, in spite of all my environmental conditions, to harden my heart and just to become a thug. And the saddest part about that is that it was finally the place where I felt like I belonged. I didn't have to try to be in this environment. It was just what I was through and through. I found myself with the ability to live in this culture really as who I was. A man just given to riot, given to excess, given to violence, given to the passions of his flesh, a slave. Eric and I were unique in that setting because we were together for years. Uh, we were together in fornication, but we were together. And like Brother Ken had said, you would never imagine the woman that I knew then to be the woman that sits here. She was. We had we had uh, girls in and around our gang, but none of them were really considered a part of our gang except for two. Because none of them were tough. Erica was tough. I mean, I can remember, I can remember times when we faced off mobs, hundreds of people, just her and I back to back. And I told her to leave and she wouldn't leave. She was just tough as nails. And in that, in that depth of depravity, it's really, at that point, at that level, it's not really about who's strongest. It's not really about who's the best fighter. It's about who doesn't care if they die. And we were those people. And we were successful. I mean, in our realm, it's a real interesting thing that that us poor kids, homeless kids, we didn't have anything. I mean, we had to scrounge money off the streets or somewhere to get beer. We, When we walked around at night, and here's what attracted us to it, we were the kings of the city. We were the kings of the night. We went wherever we went, wanted. We did whatever we wanted. Nobody stopped us. Nobody got in our way. Probably the worst sin of my life was during that time, because I had been raised under the damnable teaching of eternal security, I, I would have been very confused about what Christianity was and would have dared to blaspheme the worthy name and have told people that I was a Christian at that time. And that seems laughable. It seems so preposterous. But you have to understand there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Christianity is in the world. 
I mean, it goes down to the very core of the name Christian. It is a fundamental difference, and it's this. I believe that being a Christian meant to believe in the facts of the gospel, and I had never doubted those things in my entire life. I never doubted that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of a virgin. I never doubted that he was baptized in the Jordan. I never doubted that he did miracles and taught men. I never doubted that he died on the, sin, on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Those things were facts to me, and I never, never once doubted them my entire life. But they also made not a shred of difference in my life. You see, I think that's the personal application for this to me. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And at the pivotal time in our lives, Erica had very different motivations, very different things that brought her into that lifestyle. And through some very dramatic circumstances, being involved with all the sin that we were involved with, and for her, including occultic practices. In the midst of that depraved situation, God chose to reach out and speak to her. And it it humbled her, and it touched her. And she called me one night on the phone. I was was working a night shift, and she called me, and she told me all these dramatic circumstances that had happened. And she told me how she was afraid and didn't know what to do. And in the midst of all that fear, she felt like God from heaven spoke to her heart and said, I love you. God will not be bound. He will not. His ways are His ways and they're not our ways. And he chose to reach into all that filth and to speak to a hurting girl. And there wasn't a clear gospel presentation. There wasn't repentance. There wasn't a lot of things. But that was a moment in her life when she was softened and she could find the Lord. And she did. And she, we talked that night on the phone. And we were at a place where we were trying to get out of our gang. We had just married a few months earlier. And we were tired of life. It's just a hard life to live. It's a young man's game. I was only 20 and I was tired of it. It's an exhausting way to live. I mean, we were, now we weren't homeless. We had our own apartment. We were trying to work. We were, get, we'd just gotten married. We wanted to have a normal life and there was no virtue in us. It was just that we wanted a normal life. We didn't want to have to always be looking behind our back. I didn't want to carry a gun anymore. I just wanted, we just wanted out. But it's not that easy. And when this all happened with Erica, it was a, it was a blessing to me because it just helped solidify our decision to get out of our gang. It wasn't dangerous for us to leave our gang because we were kind of at the top echelon of our gang. But what was dangerous was that we had a lot of enemies as well as friends. And if you leave your gang, you leave your protection. And it leaves you vulnerable to those that would like to hurt you. But we calculated that cost and that risk and we said, well, we'd rather, we'd rather somebody, we'd rather somebody kill us now than wait till we have a family. 
And so we got out, and it helped everything that was happening with Erica. We, I said, you know, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to church or what? And she said, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to do. I want a Bible, and I want to go to church. So we started doing that. We went to the local Baptist church. <clears throat> and when we went there, uh, we were a mess. We were really a mess. But they were gracious to us. The pastor came and visited us and regularly. And he was really, he saw something happening. He was really encouraged. Uh, after a few months' time, I was wearing my suit and tie, and we had changed our appearance, and we were at the Baptist church. And we were living a very different lifestyle. And things had really changed with Erica, but not so with me. And it happened that one night, I came home from work. I had Erica quit working after we married. And uh, I came home from work and she had been in her Bible. The girl had never read the Bible before. She didn't know anything about the Bible. But she had been reading and reading and reading. And I came home and she had a list of scriptures. A lot of them were out, out of First John. But all, from all over the place. And she said, I, I have a question about these things, Matthew. And I said, well, okay, well, what? So I read through this list of scriptures and it was all things about being children of the light and children of darkness, of being a new creation in Christ. And and she, I said, well, what's your question? And she said, well, I know, I know that something's different inside of me. I can't do any more of the things that we used to do. But you used to do all those things and you said you were a Christian. And I thought for a moment and I told her, well, yes, I understand, it's a little confusing, but I was backslid and I said a sinner's prayer when I was five and I got baptized and it's just good that we're back on the right track. But it didn't satisfy me and it didn't satisfy her. But she was a good wife even then. And as I went to work the next couple weeks, it was First John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And that scripture was just stuck in my heart like an arrow. And I could not get away from it. Everywhere I went, I, I just thought about this. How can I, how can that be? How can it be? And I was so confused. I was so confused about what it was to be a Christian. I was so confused about what it was to believe the gospel. And I finally came to a place where I said, you know what, I'm confused. I don't understand so many things. But I know that, I know that what I have has done nothing for my life. It hasn't changed me one bit. And the thought came to my mind, I can believe that my front door is made out of wood and it doesn't have any difference in my life. And that's the same that's the same place I'm at with the gospel. I believe all these facts, but it doesn't touch me. It doesn't move me. It doesn't affect anything in me. And I began at that place to cry out to God and to say, I have to meet a man. These ideas are not enough for me. I can't just believe these historical facts anymore. I have to have a savior. I need somebody. Not something. And that's the place where I finally met him. It was a slow process. 
it was a slow process because I was so confused and I was so stubborn. But when I finally, when I was sure that I knew Him, because see, I, I had heard things in church, I'd heard things about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it was just words, it was just religious talk to me. It didn't mean anything. It was just, it was like we had our own little language in church life where we talked about things, but it was just that. I didn't know that he was really that real. That he was somebody. He was somebody you could talk to. He was somebody you could be intimate with. That he was that real. But he is. When Eric and I, when we were both born again, we were we were so young. I mean, she was 18 and I was 20, 21. And we didn't think anybody would, I mean, we were brand new Christians. Our lives were such a mess. And so we went to church happily and we were blessed there. But it wasn't enough for us. And I remember we used to, when we were first married and first converted, we used to go out back on the streets. We'd carry sack lunches anytime we left the house. And we'd go and we'd find the homeless people because we figured, well, nobody else would take us serious. But these people, we know them. They'll, If we just buy them some food, they'll listen to us. And we did. We spent many happy hours just on the streets finding homeless people buying them lunch and preaching the gospel to them, just a couple of young kids. And we've been in love with the gospel ever since. The Lord has been so faithful to us. He's brought us out of a lot of heresy, out of a lot of wrong ideas, false teachings, a lot of sin, a lot of selfishness. He's changed us. And yesterday was my anniversary. We married 11 years ago yesterday. And I just never cease to marvel. I never cease to marvel how good He is to us. I cannot look at my children. I cannot look at my my wife or my life, or think that two such as we should be in a place like this a decade after where we started. So it's our great desire to just magnify the Lord Jesus, to be living epistles written of God, to be faithful to where He's leading us and to where He's brought us from. And we love every opportunity we have just to testify to the power of the Lord Jesus. It's affected us. Everybody that loves the gospel is affected by it. I heard it in Brother Lloyd's preaching yesterday. You can tell when a man loves the gospel. Because it makes him... It makes him do things that don't make sense. It makes him believe things are possible that nobody else would believe is possible. It makes him stop and talk to a thug or a homeless person or an Amishman 
that should have no reason to listen to you. The sad thing is, though, that that wanes. You know, sometimes I, I still see people, and I, I, God have mercy on me, but I still see people sometimes, and I think, mm, I'm not sure they'd ever make it out. And the Lord rebukes me every time. Sometimes it's different ways. Sometimes it's in the morning when I'm getting ready and I happen to catch my tattoo out of the corner of my eye in a mirror. And I remember, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. Because see, our lives are so different now. They're so different. And it's, it's almost, because they're so different, it's almost easy to forget where you came from. It's easy to get to get caught up in raising children and having a life that you forget the world. And I need I need to be in settings like this. I need brothers and sisters around me. We need to remember to remind each other the power of the gospel. You really don't have to grow up in a church to be a Christian. It's really for the world. It really does change lives. The worst of us. Thank you for the opportunity to testify about my Lord. And thank you for letting us be here with you this weekend. God bless you all.